0: Let us pray. O Lord our God, by your Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds this day for the reading and hearing of your Word. And may we hear it with joy, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the prophet Amos. I'll be reading from the fifth chapter, verses 18 through 24. Listen now for God's Word to us this day. Alas, for you who desire the day of the Lord, why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not bright, as if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear, or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall, and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not bright and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What does your history say about you? For me, my history shapes my biases and growing edges. It informs my hopes, my dreams, and the particular things that make me whole. I grew up in the shadow of my church, a church not too different from ours. I grew up across the street from the First Presbyterian Church in Wilson, North Carolina, a town not too different from many of the towns you grew up in, a town not too different from us, even here in Richmond. Every Sunday, my mother would prepare breakfast and then we would prepare ourselves for Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. We sat in the same pew every Sunday behind Mr. and Mrs. Powell, as a child, I always looked in the bulletin to see if we were singing the Gloria Patry, following the assurance of pardon, because that meant a baptism was next in the order of service. I loved baptisms as a small child because my dad would hoist me up into the pew seat so I could see my pastor baptize a child while we all stood in solidarity with the family. If we didn't sing it, then that then there was not a baptism, but... Instead, my second favorite part of church as a child, the children's sermon. I would run up to the front of the church from our pew on the 13th row and plop myself down on the chancel steps as Mrs. Sauls told us about what our pastor, Reverend McKinnon, would be preaching about. I loved feeling connected to this place that I grew to love and these people, this church, who accepted and cared for my family and me. The church intersects my history at every turn. James Baldwin once commented that people are trapped in history, and history is trapped in them. We are living and breathing artifacts from that which we come. This intimate knowledge of our DNA gives us perspective and a particular purview from which we make choices about our religious conviction, morals, and ethics, and affiliations. It informs our vocation, our enjoyments, and our preferences. Our history is as intertwined in our senses of self as the very real presence of God, that God spark which ignites our souls and moves us ever closer to the kingdom of God. The journalist Cynthia Tucker wrote of the civil rights leader and Georgia Congressperson John Lewis in a recent profile for the Bitter Southerner website, she said, It's at once remarkable and tragic that Lewis's legacy, his lifetime of patient, optimistic, and nonviolent resistance to systemic racism remains so relevant. He's given 60 years to the work of trying to build the beloved community, only to arrive at a moment when that work may seem naive, that community far-fetched, the dream of a child's fantasy. Our history tells the story of our collective humanity, the good stuff and the bad. And throughout his life, John Lewis has been a prophet a sieve through which the American experience can be distilled and reflected upon so that we might find deeper meaning. Lewis has been part of some of the most momentous occasions in American history over the past 60 years through his leadership in the Civil Rights Movement and service in Congress, and he has pushed Americans into uncomfortable reckoning with our shortcomings around race, religion, and the potential of democratic government. Like the prophets of the 8th century BCE, when Amos, that shepherd from the rural Judean outpost of Tekoa, pushed Israel into deeper faithfulness, John Lewis speaks to the uncomfortable and often unacknowledged truths of the human experience and invites us all to reorient ourselves towards justice and the knowledge of righteousness. Amos lives in the midst of an economic and political system that objectively favors the wealthy and uses the labor of the poor to exploit Israel's resources. While feast days, sacred assemblies, burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, fattened animals, and loud songs may be steeped in history and on the surface faithful enough, Amos suggests that the Lord requires a deeper devotion considering the reality where the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and the land deeply connected to Israel's faithfulness since the time of the Exodus is being extracted by those in power at the sake of those who need the land for their very survival." In God's view, as communicated by Amos, the rich of of Israel are causing this economic upswing on the back of those whom God has chosen just as equally as God loves the powerful, the poor. In other words, 8th century Israel was not the land flowing with milk and honey that the Israelites re-inhabited many centuries earlier when God let them out of bondage in Egypt. Money was the driver of this inequality. The wealthy's worship was, in God's eyes, completely in vain and unworthy of acknowledgement. And because Israel continues in ancient times to not be a just society, the day of the Lord, that long-promised Jubilee Day, will be darkness and not bright All those things Israel thinks shows faithfulness to God, feast days, sacred assemblies, burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, fattened animals, noisy songs, melodious instruments. God will not accept those worshipful choices as acceptable praise in this upside-down economic and political system. Instead, God simply wants those whom love God to embody justice and ensure that righteousness flows like a stream that never ceases or, and I think more faithfully to the Hebrew, like a mighty force of water that cannot be stopped. There is immediacy in God's exhortation through Amos. Justice and righteousness are much more important right now than the trappings of religious community and interpersonal relations. Amos invites the Israelites and us to strip away everything that makes us comfortable and step into vulnerable and uncomfortable spaces. Who do we worship This question has kept me awake many nights over the past several weeks. We proclaim that we worship God that we know in Jesus Christ, and that worship is at the center of all we do as a church, and this propels us into faithful mission and ministry. We have experienced since March that mission and ministry does not need to be centered in a building or even in group experiences that can happen when we are not sequestered in our homes and away from our beloved church. Yet, we look out of our backyards and see where we are being called to live into God's clarion call for justice and righteousness We hear the sound of chanting. We see the smoke of flashbangs and tear gas bombs. We gaze upon the faces of impassioned protesters, weary law enforcement officers, worried politicians, and bereaved parents of the wrongfully imprisoned, injured, and killed. Church, we are being invited again by God into vulnerable and uncomfortable spaces. Because we profess faith in Jesus Christ, we have an obligation to be deeply intertwined in the going zone in our own backyard so that God's vision for the world might come to fruition in the fullness of time. This is going to require us to examine every aspect of our lives and our homes and our places of work and even our life together right here at First Presbyterian Church. We are called to reconsider the choices in our lives that barricade justice and righteousness from flowing with a mighty force. We are called to find the roadblocks in our professional work that prevent justice and righteousness from flowing to those whom are on the margins of society. And we are called to to remove the blinders we place in our common mission and ministry that cause us to not see justice and righteousness in our own backyard. And finally, we are called to break down the monumental impediments to the flow of justice and righteousness right here in Richmond. John Lewis commented on his childhood during an interview for the NPR StoryCorps project in 2018. He said that growing up, his family was too poor to have a subscription to the local newspaper in Troy, Alabama, his hometown. But his grandfather had a subscription, and he would pass the newspaper on to John. While he was intrinsically aware of the subjugation and oppression placed upon him as an African-American by Jim Crow laws, John Lewis did not know about the plight of African Americans throughout the South and the groundswell of transformative justice and righteousness being brought about by the Southern Christian Leadership Conference led by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. One day he read of Rosa Parks' action in Montgomery and the work the SCLC was doing in Montgomery and became determined to meet this young preacher named Dr. King. Lewis wrote to King, and King sent him a bus ticket to travel the 50 miles from Troy to Montgomery to meet with him. Upon entering the room, Dr. King said to John Lewis, Are you the boy from Troy? Lewis responded, Dr. King, I am John Robert Lewis. Lewis goes on to say, We marched, we were jailed, we were beaten, but I guess in the end, we knew and realized that we changed things. My focus on things is very simple, he continues. When you see something that's not right, not fair, you have to stand up. You have to say something. My mother, he says, told me that when I went off to school to not get in trouble, well, I told her that I only get into good trouble. Even today, I tell people we have to get into good trouble. It seems to me that our worship to God is leading us into good trouble. A far cry from the idyllic, serene worship experience I love so dearly and remember so fondly. It is leading us into a deep reckoning on our history, who we are, what our moral and ethical choices might be moving forward, and where our allegiances lie. We are in the midst of a landmark moment in history, and we have an opportunity as the people of God, as children of God, to be purveyors of God's justice and God's righteousness that cannot be stopped. In Amos's oracle, God was furious with those whom God loves, the people of Israel. God did not leave Israel, and God does not leave us now. In fact, God walks with us every step of the way, inviting us into vulnerable and uncomfortable spaces together, inviting us out of our comfortable worship and moving us into worship that may take us on the streets, into the halls of power, and in total solidarity with the poor and the powerless. We do not walk this journey alone, but solely, solely with God's help. May this hard work burst us out of our history and into a new embodied history that is being written every day where justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a stream that never, ever stops. Amen.